Hollow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let's get some of the important stuff out of the way first. It is that time of year again. Every child deserves the best holiday experience, and this year the need to donate toys is greater than ever. WTMJ once again is teaming up with Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. If you'd like to help this holiday season, we, we have something really fun that's going on this week in particular. Go to our website. It's WTMJ.com. Click on the Kids to Kids Christmas banner. And this year... We are competing that we would be Wisconsin's Morning News, the Afternoon News, Scafidi, and then my show. We're competing to see which show can donate the most toys. When you donate, make sure to click on your favorite WTMJ show. And don't forget to join us this Friday for the final push. It's Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Radiothon, only here on WTMJ. So what you do is you go to WTMJ.com, and there's a big banner. It says Kids to Kids Christmas. You click on that, and then they have... Well, they, they have these different logos with the different daytime shows, including the Jeff Wagner Show. You click on the spot that says Donate Now, and they make it really easy. You can do it by a PayPal. You can do it by a, by a credit card. But we're going to be doing this all this week with the idea of trying to raise money. And look, and I understand this year in particular, there's lots of demands on people for gifts and things. But we've been doing Kids to Kids Christmas for... Well, a number of years here, probably 12 or 13, and if you have an opportunity to ever get out to CapGo and see all the toys that are raised and how these are distributed to kids in need, you, you really, it's fun to participate in this. And, and again, any donation is great. If you can give 500 bucks, that's great. If you can give 50 bucks, that's great. If you can give 10 bucks, that's great. And um, again, there's it's our Radiothon that's going to end up on Friday, but all this week, it's your chance to donate now, and you can pick your favorite WT. MJ show and it's kind of like bragging rights between the different hosts so we will do that as well wtmj.com click on the banner and then you are off to the races all right here's one of the I think good news stories of the weekend, the making lemonade out of lemons. The Milwaukee Dancing Grannies, of course, who lost a couple of their members in the Waukesha Christmas Parade Massacre, when you had the guy who was out on bail who shouldn't have ever been anywhere near the streets, who drove and ended up killing six people and injuring dozens more. The Milwaukee Dancing Grannies, um, well, they, they are not deterred. They were back. They marched in the Franklin Christmas Parade on Saturday, they did not perform, but they walked arm in arm, waving at the cheery crowds around the parade route and wishing people a Merry Christmas. And the message that the the members of the group said is, we don't want people to think that we're done. We're not done. We're going to keep going. And this group has been a fixture at parades in Wisconsin for nearly 40 years. And I cannot tell you how pleased I was to see that, you know, they were... 
going to respond to this i mean i'll use the word tragedy it's certainly a tragedy from their perspective but you know being victims of crime in this fashion that they weren't going to simply say okay we're we're going to end this this wonderful thing that we've done and all the entertainment and happiness we bring to people we're going out there we're not going to deter we are going to again in this case they were marching in the parade and i, I think that's the absolute right attitude to have and our hats off to the dancing grannies who were back okay here is the story. Now, I would say that you could perhaps try to write this story off by saying it is from San Francisco, but I don't know that this is necessarily indicative of something that would only happen in San Francisco. Here is the deal. There's a, a restaurant in San Francisco. It's called Hilda and Jesse, and it, it's one of these breakfast and lunch places, you know, op- open during the day, breakfast and lunch. Well, on Friday... Here's what happens. Three uniformed San Francisco police officers who are on duty in uniform, they go in to have lunch. It's, 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 it's like their lunch break, so they go in, they, they sit down, and, and they, they order their food. What happens is, after they are seated, a couple staff members go up to them and tell them that they feel uncomfortable with the presence of the police who are armed because again they're 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 on duty they're on active duty they're eating lunch so they've got their service weapons with them they're not waving around or anything they're they're holstered but you have a couple of the staff members who go up and say they are uncomfortable with the presence of the multiple weapons and they asked the officers to leave the restaurant essentially they threw them out the this then became public on Saturday, the restaurant issued a statement where they doubled down, saying, well, um, we, we welcome members of the police department when they are off duty, out of uniform, and without their weapons. One of the owners, Rachel Silcox, says, our restaurant is a safe place, particularly for queer and BIPOC individuals, B-I-P-O-C individuals. Furthermore, the fact that they were in uniform with multiple weapons on them made our staff uncomfortable and potentially other guests. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. During the day, three on-duty, in-uniform officers go in. They sit down to have lunch at the restaurant. The restaurant staff comes up and says, no, we want you to leave because we feel uncomfortable because you are number one in uniform, and number two, you have your service weapons with you. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, for never, I for one, would never, ever, ever consider patronizing a restaurant that took this position. Number two, how stupid, and yes, I use that word stupid, can you be? You really feel uncomfortable and that's their attitude well oh, oh my gosh you've got these uniformed police officers that are there we we are uncomfortable because heaven forbid they, they have their service weapons with them and they are in uniform i would argue that especially given all the crime that is going on across this country and san francisco in particular which has become an open-air war zone in many respects with regards to theft i would argue 
I think most people would love to eat lunch in a restaurant where you've got police officers there who will deter criminal activity. But that's just me. 855-616-1620. I think the reaction of this restaurant is disgusting. They're all upset because they're getting negative publicity. Well, sometimes you deserve the negative publicity. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, what's most interesting to me about this story is, is I think for most of us, if you were having lunch in one of these breakfast lunch type of places, you're, you're eating a meal there and you see three uniformed police officers who are on their lunch hour having having lunch. I think for most people that if you're going to react, the reaction of most people is going to be to offer to buy them breakfast or maybe do that. You know, I, I'd like to pick up the tab. You don't have to tell them it's me. I, I really appreciate what they're doing, putting their lives on the line every day to keep people like me safe. I think the most normal people, your reaction, if you're in a position to do it, would be to think about buying them their lunch. In San Francisco, three uniformed police officers go in. They come up. They are told they have to leave the restaurant because they are, number one, in uniform, and number two, because they have their service weapons with them. 855-616-1620. And they say, well, you know, we, we are... We are particularly, um, you know, we, we serve a lot of members of the LGBT community and, you know, we, we don't want them to feel uncomfortable. What, what craziness is this? What planet do these people live on? Let's start with Marty in Oak Creek. Marty, you're first. Hello. I, I find this deplorable. I just think it, it's disgusting, but, um, I would not patronize that place at all, ever. And I would actually challenge the police officers to file a discrimination suit. Well, you know, not allowed in because of their profession. I don't think so. Well, you know, it is interesting. You you raise an interesting point because we we all talk about how we're, we're supposed to be more tolerant and we're supposed to be more understanding and we're not supposed to discriminate against people because of what they look like or who they are or what they do or anything like that. And yet now we're discriminating against the police officers because and by the way they have to carry their their weapons with them. I mean, it's just it's a requirement. We're discriminating against them because some well, idiot somewhere is uncomfortable that a police officer's got his or her service weapon with him it's crazy oh thanks for the call it is no it it is we you're you're exactly right we we go out of our way to say we're not going to discriminate against anybody and here in this particular situation what are we doing we are discriminating against police officers but again it's the it's part of it too is this stupid and that's the word I use, paranoia that we have about about firearms. Look, I understand how businesses, if you don't want to have a, people bringing guns into your business, I get it. But these are, these are on-duty police officers. And the idea that people would feel so uncomfortable that an on-duty police officer comes and sits and has breakfast or has lunch at the restaurant. I mean, can you, what, what sort of people think like that? Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm too terrified to eat my omelet because, well, I've got an officer in the corner who's, you know, having a tuna fish sandwich and, and, and they've got a firearm with them. What do they think they're going to do with that firearm? Let's talk to Holly in Kenosha. Hi, Holly. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much, Doc, for taking my call. I have no problems with a policeman in a restaurant. Three years ago, I was in the south side of Chicago, the Hyde Park neighborhood in a strip mall, sitting at a a closed bakery table, eating my own lunch from home. To my right is an outdoor restaurant. Two Chicago policemen got out of their squad cars, walked over to the outdoor tables of that restaurant, sat down, ordered, 
they ate. I had I was very comforted by the fact that they were sitting there. I wanted to go over and thank them for their service, but they left like five, ten minutes later. Yeah. These poor policemen are human beings. They need to eat. Well, well, well right. And, and it was and, nice and, to see them acting as human beings. Well, 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 exactly. But I guess, Holly, the, the thing is, okay, so you're, you're having you're having your lunch. The, the, the police officers are armed. What? What reasonable, and that's, I guess, the operative word, what reasonable person feels unsafe or threatened or whatever, and I don't care what your sexual orientation is, what reasonable person would feel unsafe because you are eating lunch in the proximity to a a police officer who's also eating lunch? It's just, it's the kind of reaction that's just, it's, it's paranoid in the extreme, I guess. Maybe what we don't know is that those people who are uncomfortable Maybe they have a reason for being uncomfortable. Maybe they have a past arrest record, or they know somebody who I don't know. I don't know. Certainly, no, no, no. I'm no, with you. No, no thanks, no. thanks for calling. And this, and of course, the restaurant now has its backup, and they're like, "Well, we we can't. We, well, you know, the, these officers are welcome to come in any time, but we don't want them to be in uniform, and we certainly don't want them to have be carrying firearms." Well, okay. My guess is, if that restaurant gets held up. And there's an active shooter situation. They're going to be the first ones to be screaming to the police officers, hey, come on in. And, and by the way, when, when the officers respond to that call of, I don't know, burglary in question or shooting in front of the restaurant, do the restaurant owners want those p- police officers to leave their guns at, at home? Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, that, that's, and again, that's what the, the crazy thing is you know, and here is the interesting thing. One of our texters makes the point. Sad thing, Jeff, is the integrity of the officers would have had them run into that restaurant if, God forbid, something horrible was happening to somebody in that was placed. You know, th- that's exactly the point. If those officers were there, and let's say. I don't know, Some somebody tries to force their way into the back at gunpoint, you know that those officers would have dropped their knives and forks, they would have pulled out those guns, and they would have gone in and they would have run towards the threat, confronting them directly. They're good enough to do that, but for the owners of the restaurant, they're not good enough to eat there? Give me a break. Nick in Green Bay. Nick, you're on WTMJ. Thanks, Jeff, for taking my call. Yes, Usually, this stuff, this stuff doesn't offend me, but oh, you got me going. No longer as I hold the angrier I got. And you know what? You took my thunder right away, but you know, the next time that they need help, they'll be calling the police. My wife works for a quick trip and she works overnight. And that quick trip that she works at, the cops stop there every night for her lunch. It's great. It makes me feel better. There's no way no one's going to rob that place. I know my wife is protected. So in those people, those fruitcakes can just stay in California. We don't want them here in the Midwest. Well, that, you know, that, that, I mean, thanks. That, you raised such an interesting, I'm glad you brought up Quick Trip. Because I mean, if you're a regular listeners show, you know, I, I, I love Quick Trip. I think they really, they, they do it right. But I, I've always thought that, you know, whether it's Quick Trip or whether it's Speedway or whether it's any of these 24-hour convenience stores that are open up, I mean, my guess is, I mean, you, you know, you couldn't pay me enough to be a clerk working second and third shift at these places. But uh, let, let's say, you know, you're, you're a clerk. It's a 24-hour convenience store, gas station, whatever. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, you've got some police officers who are on their lunch break or whatever. My guess is you would welcome those police officers coming in and having a cup of coffee and whatever because you know you, you know that as long as they are there 
As long as they are there, chances are that some of these bad guys who might be coming out and looking for a quick score out of some cash register or something, they're, they're not there. But I guess it's okay to discriminate. You can't discriminate against anybody else, but it's fair game to go after armed police officers who are on their lunch hour. Here's a text, Jeff. A couple of months ago, I brought, I bought lunch for two on-duty police officers in a restaurant in Sheboygan. I was really glad to do it. Yeah, that's, see, that's what we call we refer to it as kind of that random act of, of kindness. And I know not everybody's in a position to do that. But but every once in a while, I mean, like I said earlier, I think that's I think that's normally people's reaction. If you're eating in one of these breakfast or lunch places, you see a couple police officers there, especially given all the you know what that police officers had to put up with over the last couple of years. I think the natural reaction, if you have a few extra bucks in your pocket, is to say, you know, quietly kind of go up to the waitress or something and say, look, I don't want them to know about it, but I'm, I've got the tab. Here's 20 bucks or whatever. And I, I, I've got the tab. I appreciate their service. And then you, you kind of leave quietly. It's that random act of kindness. And my guess is 99 99 out of 100 people, that would be, if you ask them, what are they more inclined to do? It would be buy breakfast for the cops or that one out of 100 complain, oh, my gosh, I, I'm, I'm triggered. I feel so uncomfortable that they're having their lunch and they've got their, their guns that are holstered. I, I mean, I'm sorry. At some point in time, don't we have to stop catering to the lunatic fringe? And in this case, the lunatic fringe are the customers and the staff at this particular restaurant in San Francisco who now is unhappy that they're getting all sorts of negative feedback. Well, if you don't want to get negative feedback, don't do really stupid hateful and hurtful things period welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj yes a number of text people remembering as i do the the buckets of beer and yes it was it was a a plastic bucket that had a little plastic strap, and, and they would fill it with beer. One of our texters said, I, I remember it because some guy behind me poured, spilled about three-quarters of it down my back. Yes, yeah, they, they, had, they had some other ideas. 1971, this was the second year of, of the Brewers. And, and at the beginning, when, when the Brewers first came here, the team was was awful. But, I mean, we were glad to have baseball here. But they were trying to do things to kind of jazz up attendance. So it was sometime in mid-June, 1971, the Brewers hosted something called a 10-cent beer night where, you know, you could get 10 beers for a dollar. What could possibly go wrong? Fans could only buy buy six beers at a time. <laughs> Six beers at a time. So for 60 cents, you put out a dollar. Yeah, you put out a dollar, you get 40 cents back, and you get six 12-ounce beers. What could possibly go wrong with that? Those days are long gone, but um, I can remember all that stuff. Hey, you know, one final thought on what we were talking about before with the restaurant in San Francisco that, you know, tells the on-duty police officers they can't come in in uniform with their guns because people are afraid of the guns. Here's the flip side of this. Crime is going nuts all across urban areas. It's it's worse, I think, percentage-wise in Milwaukee than it is elsewhere, but, but it's, it's bad all over. It's gotten so bad that, that here's, here's what they're doing. For example, Bank of America, which is one of the big 
It's based out of New York City, and it's one of the big employers. They are now starting to bring employees back. You know, many people have been able to work at home for the last year and a half because of COVID. Bank of America is telling its employees as they come to work, they want them to dress down. In other words, they, they, they don't want them to wear suits. They don't want them to wear expensive shoes. They don't want the female employees to be carrying expensive handbags. They don't want people wearing anything with a Bank of America logo. Okay, why? Because they say um, they're, they're afraid for their employees. They're afraid if these staffers come in and they're well-dressed or they're wearing logos with Bank of America or things like that, that they will be a target for um, crime. So <laughs> plus they're saying, OK, well, now, especially since uh, daylight saving time ended, you know, you'll be going home um, after dark and we're very, very concerned that you will be a victim of crime. So in other words, don't don't wear suits anymore. We want you to dress down because we are we there's there's not enough cops out on the street to protect you from the out of control crime. So on the one hand, we're telling people don't dress nicely you know, to come to your office jobs because you might be a target. And at the other end of the country, we're telling people, we're telling police officers, you're not welcome in our restaurant if you are carrying a firearm or in uniform. The world just gets crazier and crazier. And in that vein, let's talk about the the aftermath of this horrible situation in Michigan where you had the 15-year-old kid who brought the handgun to school, ended up killing four classmates and and wounding what more than a dozen others. Well, we we know at least a lot about this now. We know okay that the the kid, the 15-year-old, we know he got his gun. The gun had been purchased by his father the Friday before, on Black Friday. The shooting was, what, on, on a Monday. So we, we know that the gun had been purchased by the father. We know that the gun was not locked up. We know that it was accessible to the kid. We know that the kid took multiple pictures of him carrying the gun. We also know that on the morning of the shooting, uh, authorities had, well, first of all, before that had happened, they caught the kid in school researching ammunition and then they alerted the mother to that and the mother's response to the kid was well i'm not upset that you're doing this but you know next time don't get caught so then they catch the kid who is like drawing and doodling things and he's he's drawing pictures of what appears to be i don't know a mass murder that was in place so the the teachers see this they then whistle the parents in and, you know, they sit down with the kids and they say, OK, here, here's they sit down with mom and dad and said, hey, we, we've you know, we had this ammunition story and now we've got, you know, this other stuff that's going on and he's drawing all these different pictures and, and we think he needs counseling. At what at that point in time, the school said to the parents, we think you should take him home. The parents said, no, no, we're not going to take him home. We're going to um, we're going to leave him here at that point in time uh mom and dad really never mentioned anything about the gun mom and dad had not checked their house to see what had happened to the gun and all this while the gun is in the kids back backpack mom and dad don't mention anything the school officials who now have this these drawings 
that clearly indicate that you've got somebody who's about ready to commit a mass murder. School officials don't suspend him. When mom and dad say, no, we don't want to take him home, they did, they send him back to class. Nobody, not mom and dad, not school officials, nobody checks the kid's backpack. Nobody looks to see if he might really have a firearm. They just send him back into class, and then three or four hours later, you know, all you know what ends up breaking loose. Now, I support the charges against mom and dad. We talked about this last week. I think it's a, it's going to be tough for the prosecutors to make that case, involuntary manslaughter, but I, I applaud them for trying because in this case, I think mom and dad were just negligent in the extreme. And by the way, mom and dad sound like pieces of work themselves. But I want to focus on the school officials. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess... My question is, and this isn't from the perspective of criminal liability, but it's from the perspective of just procedures. You find a kid a week or so earlier who's researching ammunition, right? The kid shows up in school, and he's doing these drawings, which clearly indicate that there's some really bad stuff going on in the kid's mind. You whistle mom and dad in. Mom and dad essentially want to take no responsibility. How can you send the kid back to school without just sending him home until you get to the bottom of what's going on here? I guess the story the kid told is, well, I was just like thinking about a video game or something like that. Well, isn't this something that should have all sorts of red flags that are sent off? And then on top of it, nobody thinks to look in the kid's backpack. Now, in some respects, maybe this is more on mom and dad, and mom and dad, if they had volunteered, oh, by the way, we bought a gun on Friday, and we don't know where the gun is, maybe that would have triggered some more stuff. But but nobody checks the kid. Nobody checks the kid's locker. Nobody checks the kid's backpack. And so he goes from this meeting with school officials where they're asking him about all these horrible drawings he's done. He, he's allowed to leave when he's got a gun and 30-plus rounds of ammunition, if not more, in his backpack. Our number is 855 616-1620. The school superintendent says, well, well, nothing to see here. <laughs> nothing to see here? I, I mean, look, again, I don't think we're talking about criminal responsibility, but don't we want school officials, especially when faced with all these different red flags, don't we want them to err on the side of caution? And I understand that hindsight is twenty twenty. And you could say, well, you know, yes, obviously, if they knew he had a gun in his backpack, we wouldn't have sent him back in there. Well, okay, shouldn't somebody have looked? Um, obviously, if we knew that he really intended to act out on all these drawings that he was doing in class, we wouldn't have sent him back. Well, all right, don't you need to err on the side of caution? 855-616-1620. I- I'm sorry. The-, the response of the school, I think, was awful. And I understand it is comp- it's made more complicated because mom and dad, who are pieces of work themselves, apparently didn't share the fact that there was a gun that had been purchased and they didn't tell anybody if they knew that the gun wasn't locked up and that the kid had taken it. I, so I understand all that. So the school officials presumably didn't know that. But was this a reasonable response in the face of clearly a troubled young man? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Couple of people saying on on what basis could they search his backpack? Well, 
All you need to do is that you don't need to have probable cause. When you come into a school, you have you, you do not have the same degree of privacy rights that you have, say, if you were walking down the street. So when you bring a backpack, for example, to school, first of all, if you put it in your locker, well, then the lockers are school property. Lockers with lockers can be searched at any time for any reason because they are not. Again, they are they are school property. So anything you put in your locker could be subject to search without any sort of finding at all. Um, backpacks, if the kids got it on them, what you need is reasonable suspicion. This isn't probable cause. And I would argue that you catch a kid sitting in the classroom making drawings where it appears that he is plotting some sort of mass murder, that would be reasonable suspicion to determine whether or not the child had, I don't know, firearms on him, especially if a couple days before that you caught him searching the Internet at school for ammunition. I would argue that is reasonable suspicion. You might disagree with me, but at the same time, I would say let's err on the side of caution. Now, the school officials didn't do that, and they clearly weren't helped in this regard by the parents. Mom and dad refused to take the kid home. So uh, some people might say, well, the, the school, they tried to send him home, but mom and dad, they both wanted to get back to work, so they refused to take him. I, I don't know how you take no for an answer, though. I mean, it's why, why do mom and dad get to dictate this? If you think that you need to get that kid out of the classroom because he may pose a danger, the fact that mom and dad are too busy to let the kid go home, that, that doesn't answer it. Says, you say, no, you, you he's, he's leaving. And if he doesn't leave, then you put a call to Child Protective Services right away saying, we're sending the kid home. He's been suspended while we get a counselor and figure out what's going on here. And if mom and dad don't want to take him well okay that's where you have juvenile hall for 855-616-1620 clearly school officials did not want to be assertive with regard to this which is mind-boggling to me given how assertive school officials typically are when you have situations that have many fewer red flags than this vincent on the northwest side vincent you're good afternoon Good afternoon, Jeff. I totally agree with you. Over the years, we've seen uh, young children taken out of school because they pointed their finger like a gun or had a squirt gun, yeah. dragged out of school in handcuffs, or had a bad t- or, or, or had a bad day and had a, ten- a temper tantrum, dragged out of school by police officers yeah. in handcuffs. And so, so it's, it's no excuse for this school to say that, hey, they, they couldn't go further and say, if the parents didn't want to take him on, the next thing we're going to do is call the police. Because when this is the second time we've caught this individual uh, writing these horrend, uh, right. horrendous notes and, and, and drawings, drawing these horrendous drawings. And so, no, we've got to get him. He's, he's out of this school. And so I don't understand their, their, their attitude to, to, to allow him to continue to stay in this school and when, 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 like you say, uh, we've seen over the years lesser offenses yeah, when kids have just been... Yeah, yeah Vincent, I'm so glad you called. Else. You're you're right. Think of all these situations that we've had. You, you, you make a great point where you've had... You've had the elementary school kids, and one of them points their finger at another classmate and, you know, extends the finger and make, portrays like it's a gun and goes bang. And those kids are, are tossed out of school for day after day. In this case, you've got, you've got the kid that's, you know, allegedly, now his explanation was, well, I was just designing a, a video game and, you know, they end up buying it. I, whatever happened to, you know, better safe than sorry? Whatever happened to zero tolerance, for goodness sakes? 
Exactly, it, it, especially because we've had all these, these the, the, uh, in the past, all these shootings in, in, these, in schools. The fact is you want to be proactive, and, and if the parents weren't proactive and they weren't helping, the fact is the next point is you were not, a, you were not a letting this monster back in the school. That's, that would have been my, my point. We're not letting this monster back. Because if you don't want to take him, right. we're calling the police. Right. And, and, and that's, that's, that should have been their point. I, thanks for, I, I, I agree completely. Now, again, the, the parents are collectively, they are pieces of work, and I understand they did not make it easy on the school officials. And, and if they had told the school officials that, hey, we bought a gun last Friday, and oh, by the way, we'd have it checked. We don't know the kid has access to the gun. We knew he was taking pictures of himself with the gun. We don't know where that gun is now. Now, I, I assume if they would have told school officials that, it would have caused school officials to perhaps act differently. And I understand that hindsight is twenty twenty. But again, having said that, how do you let the parents dictate this particular thing? You know, th- oh, this was a video game. Well, okay, maybe it was a video game, but it, it also shows a clearly troubled child. And this idea that, no, you got to send him back into classes. If I'm the school officials, the response is, no, here's the deal. you got to take him home, and you have to figure out, you know, what you're going to do with him. you got to take him home, and if you're not going to take him home, we're not sending him back into class. He's going to sit here until we can get the people from the child protective services here because we don't want him back in the classroom until he's met with counselors and we can get to the bottom of all this and they didn't do it do i think they should be criminally liable no i don't think it's a criminal case but if you don't want to find fault i don't think that's right either they screwed up and people are dead criminal responsibility no that's on the 15 year old that probably should be on mom and dad as well but this this was not handled appropriately at least in my mind by the school back with more in just a couple minutes live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner good afternoon wisconsin welcome back to the program alex was just telling you the stock market is up big today after a couple rocky weeks or so brought on by the the panic caused by the Omicron variant. Uh, The Dow Jones Industrials up 736 points. That's a 2.13% increase. The Nasdaq's up uh, 185. That's a little bit over 1.2%. Why why is it going up today? And and why did it go on last week? Well, it's just, it's panic. Um, you know, a week ago, what, on Thanksgiving, that's when we first started hearing about the Omicron variant, which actually has probably been in the United States for months. It's just that they don't test for the, as a general rule, when you go in and get tested for COVID, they don't test to find out whether you've got the Delta variant or some new one. They just test, you come back, you got a positive result. So now you're starting to see it in, in all these different states. Well, my guess is it's been in these states for, for several months. We just haven't necessarily been looking for it. But anyhow, when, when the news of this first broke, you had People were panicked about what's going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. Now it is, and again, it's still early, which is one of the reasons why I was trying to say at the beginning, maybe before everybody should just let their hair go on fire and panic, maybe you should wait to see what happened. Well, now they are starting to suggest, and we don't know, jury's still out, but a lot of the preliminary evidence says that while this variant may be more transmissible, It's also, for most people, it's much, much milder. 
and there, there's stories out there that explain what what why this would happen as as these viruses start to mutate and they become for example more like the common cold i understand it's not the common cold i'm not suggesting it is but as these viruses mutate what happens is a lot of times is they they tend to again lose some of their potency and and that's it there i think what the reason stock market is up big today is there's now the thing that people are looking at this and saying okay well maybe this isn't going to be the bluebonic plague again for for most people it's going to be a milder version and if you get it you're you're not going to get as sick which isn't to say that anybody wants to get it and obviously if you're in one of those very very vulnerable risk groups um, particularly older people with underlying health conditions well you you don't want to get you don't want to get COVID. You don't want to get the mild or otherwise. You don't want to get the flu. You don't want to get anything like that. So there's always going to be the risk. But but that's why the stock market is up today. Suggestions that maybe this is going to be a milder version. Um, and also there's reports that some of these pharmaceutical companies are closer to developing a, a COVID pill, which to me, together with vaccinations, is really kind of the way out of this for most people because just like they, they have the pill, what do they call it, Theraflu, something like that, you know, where you, Tamiflu, whatever they call, where if, if you, you know, you come down with the flu and you, you get seen early enough, it's this pill that they can give you that will minimize flu symptoms. Well, apparently they're, they're working on and, uh, they, they think, in the relatively near future, whatever that means, they'll be able to have sort of a COVID pill where, again, if you start to come down with symptoms, you can take it early. It's a regimen that you take over a couple-day period of time, and if it works like it's intended, it's it minimizes the symptoms. And, again, that that's I think that's what it's all going to be about as we deal with COVID because I don't personally think COVID's it's not going to disappear. I think you're going to always have these different variants. I think it's going to be a fact of life. So the question becomes, how do you live with it? And obviously, if the more treatment options you have, in addition to vaccinations, the more treatment options you have, the better. And if it gets into a situation where somebody starts to notice that they've got some symptoms and they get diagnosed with it, you can give them some pills that minimize the chance and the risk that they're going to have to be hospitalized. That's that's a really that's a good thing. It's a positive thing. And that's what I think you're looking at some of the numbers um, in the stock market today, which but there there is this issue that's out there with how do you deal with covid moving forward? And there's a really interesting story in the Wall Street Journal. It's either in Saturday's Wall Street Journal or today's. Biden and local officials avoid lockdowns, new mask mandates in Omicron fight. Uh, response reflects view that the COVID-19 pandemic is in a different phase and many Americans wouldn't accept a return to the toughest restrictions. Let me share the first four paragraphs with you and then we're going to discuss. President Biden and many state and local leaders are urging Americans to wear masks and take other precautions in response to the Omicron variant, but are largely avoiding endorsing broad mask mandates and lockdowns that marked earlier stages of the pandemic. The steps reflect a view that the pandemic is in a different phase with vaccines and boosters available, as well as a recognition that many Americans won't accept a return to the toughest restrictions. The fatigue is high, as well as the mental health aspect, said John Anazoni, a Democratic pollster who advised the Biden presidential campaign. People are in a mentality of how to live with COVID. And then the point of the article goes on that says, I'm kind of summarizing here, but says, by and large, people people are over 
these these tougher restrictions. Now, in Europe, what we're looking at is that they're talking about reinstituting lockdowns. They're talking about instituting uh, vaccine mandates where essentially authorities go door to door and and jab people if you're not vaccinated. They're talking about rules that say essentially if you're unvaccinated, you are not going to be allowed to go out in public with the exception of being able to go into certain stores like pharmacies and and grocery stores. But as far as going into restaurants, it's going to movie theaters, bars, um, discretionary shopping, you're not going to be allowed to do that. That's what they're looking at doing in Austria and Germany and a handful of other countries in Europe. In America, we're, we have apparently concluded that people are, and I don't want to say over COVID because that might be a, that might be an overstatement, but again, a, rec- a recognition that Americans won't accept a return to the toughest restrictions. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If this is President Biden's thinking, and I don't care whether it's motivated by politics or whatever, I think he's on the right track. Because I agree with the premise of this article. I don't think, I forget don't think, if if Governor Evers, let, let's put aside the legalities of this, if Governor Evers or Mayor Tom Barrett or President Biden were to say, all right, we're going back to lockdowns. We're going to order the restaurants to be shut down. We're going to order the bars to be shut down. We're going to order non-essential businesses to be shut down. I, I just, I, I think, I think the general public and the general reaction would be to rise up. And I, I think people just wouldn't accept a return to this. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage uh, Talk and Text Line. Can we get tougher with COVID or has that ship sailed 855-616-1620 my reaction is I, I think you can do everything you can to voluntarily try to encourage people to get vaccinated um maintain self you know safe distancing if you think that's appropriate i think it's appropriate if you think it's important to encourage people to wear masks but as far as the mandates from the government whether it's masks or whether it's lockdowns i just don't think there'd be much if any support from the vast majority of people 855-616-1620 and i I was watching a number of football games this weekend okay i mean we you know, you, you've got 70,000, 80,000 people that are showing up at these football stadiums. And if we're going to do that, can could we go back to, like, locking them down and saying no fans at NBA games, no fans at college basketball games? I, I just I don't think people would accept that. And I guess the, then the follow-up becomes, all right, if you can have 20,000 people watch UW beat my Marquette basketball team this weekend, I mean, how can we tell people that they – can't gather with their family and friends at Christmas parties over the holidays. 855-616-1620. Are we over COVID? We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Get your tickets now for Wisconsin's ultimate drive through holiday experience. WTMJ is proud to sponsor Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. Enjoy millions of lights, three mesmerizing light tunnels, hundreds of inflatables, a rink for ice skating, villagers, a nativity scene, and so much more. To secure your spot now, all you have to do is text the word Christmas to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. It's Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. And as we mentioned at the start of the show, we're doing something special this week. 
Um, this is on all the different daytime shows, Wisconsin's Morning News, the Afternoon News, News Cafiti, and myself. What we're trying to do is we are trying to encourage you to contribute to Kids to Kids Christmas um, because the need to donate toys is greater than ever. So here's what you do. If you go to our website, WTMJ.com, you're going to see that this Kids to Kids Christmas banner. You click on that, and then you'll see the logos of all the four daytime shows. Um, click on one. Pick out your favorite show. Hopefully it's mine, but important thing is that you donate. And then what you do is you click on it, and you can make a donation. Five bucks. 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 500 bucks, we'll, we'll, we'll take whatever. And then we use that money to go buy toys for the kids. We're doing that all this week leading up to a radiothon that we're going to be doing on Friday. But it's kind of a little fun competition between the different shows and things like that. So you go to the website, 620WTMJ.com, you click on that, see the Kids to Kids Christmas thing, and then you're off to the races. And on behalf of all of us, we'd appreciate that any donations that people can give. It is a wonderful cause. Okay, Five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, the premise of this piece in the Wall Street Journal is one of the reasons that the Biden administration and local officials aren't pushing lockdowns isn't necessarily because they wouldn't like to, but it's because they just think the American people are over it. And, and I, I agree completely. Here's a text, Jeff. I agree. We are over COVID. I don't think, however, COVID is over us. Suffice to say, I think we are going into the world with our eyes wide open now and understanding that if you go out into society and you have any concerns, you should get vaccinated. But then I think people are just going to live their life, um, live their life as normal. And I think there is an element of this. Here's another text. And and I, I agree with this as well. Jeff, I think it reflects the reality that we have many more tools now than we did in the beginning to manage the disease. At the beginning, we had no idea what we were dealing with. And the only way to prevent the spread of disease was to do the things we did. You are correct, though. If anyone tried to reinstitute things like that, there would be riots in the street. Yours truly included. Well, I, I mean, I think that that's it. We didn't know what we didn't know back then. And I, I think we had discussions about whether things were an overreaction and whether the stuff we did made sense. But now a year and a half into this, I think people are starting to recognize that, again, this virus isn't going anywhere. It's And so the challenge is to figure out how you're going to live with it. And I think, again, I, I'm a proponent, not of men. I don't think the government has any right to go door to door and round people up and force them to get vaccines. But I do think it's appropriate. This is from the perspective of somebody who's vaccinated, got my booster shot last week. I've been fortunate, never had any sort of adverse reaction at all. But given the fact that I've I've been vaccinated, I've had my booster shot and things like that, I'm... COVID is down the list of my concerns. It, it it just is because most of the people, not all, but almost all the people I hang out with have also had their vaccinations and some of whom have, have had their boosters and things like that. So that's that's the circle I run in. Is it possible that I could have a breakthrough case? Yeah, I guess it's possible, but I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to live my life, not live my life. I'm not going to be in a panic because of the possibility that you could have one of these breakthrough cases. Because, again, since I don't have any of these underlying health conditions or at least no severe underlying health condition, the chances are if you get it, it's it's going to be mild. Does that mean you know, you, you, something bad couldn't happen to you. Well, something bad could happen, but you could get, you know, hit by a bus tomorrow, you know, crossing the street. So I, I think this is correct. I think most people are saying, look, we got to figure out how it is that we are going to live 
with this. Now, that does impose a different burden on the people who, again, are are the most vulnerable. If you're in one of those high-risk categories, you, you probably have to adjust your life, just like you have to adjust your life in the wintertime to make sure you don't get pneumonia, and just like you have to adjust your life in the wintertime to make sure you don't come down with the flu. Appreciating that COVID is different than those two things. For the people who are most vulnerable, you got to adjust it. For most people, though, I think that we're ready to move on. And if they want to encourage people to wear masks, that that's that's fine. But if we were to start again to talk about lockdowns and all the economic chaos that caused and to shut schools with all the mental trauma and lost learning that that caused kids, I just don't think we're there anymore. I think it's time to figure out how do you live with COVID moving on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Before we ring in the new year, let's take one last look back. The 10th Annual Wisconsin Sports Awards presents History Made, a celebration of Milwaukee's first title in 50 years and the best in high school, college, and professional sports across the state. Join ESPN Wisconsin's Jen Latta and Wisconsin's Biggest Stars on Saturday, December 18th at 1 a.m. on TMJ4 for the 10th Annual Wisconsin Sports Awards presented by UW Credit Union jockey Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin and Palermo. Pizza. Um, you know, interesting. There's a story in the Washington Post today about uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president. And it's, I, she's apparently having a, a large number of members of her staff that that are leaving. And on the one hand, it's it's not unusual in, in politics to have, especially when you you get elected, you have people who come in with you and, and they work for about a year and then they start to move on. So that that's not in itself unusual. What is perhaps unusual is the fact that a number of these people who are exiting are uh, not giving her very high marks. Um, you know, and this has been going on for several months. I mean, staff saying, look, it, it's it's a dysfunctional office. Um, people are frustrated. They're burned out. Um, that she's doesn't uh, one of the things like if you read the Washington Post story, some people are saying she just she doesn't put in the time. What happens is they they do briefing papers for her and stuff, and she doesn't read them, and then she shows up at places and she's uninformed, and then quickly gets beyond her depth, and then she gets mad at the staff people, and it's it's in an event they say that she's kind of mean, and so a lot of people are leaving. Now again, I I don't know that a lot of that's Washington. You hear that a, a lot, and you heard certainly a lot about it. During the, the Trump administration, too, people are talking about how it was dysfunctional and how you had this chaos theory and you couldn't work. What's interesting with Kamala Harris, and I, I don't know how true this is or not, but it's interesting how stuff can get weaponized because when when you said these things about Trump, that you know he was dictatorial and he didn't put in the work and that he was a slave driver and that he was very difficult to work with and all these different things, everybody was like, yeah, yeah, this is him. He, he's a jerk. With when it when it's the current vice president, a lot of people want to explain it as oh that this can't be true. This is just I mean this is just sexism. And it, and if she weren't the first female vice president, well people wouldn't be saying these things. And and this is just an effort by you know the the old boy club to to minimize her. Well, I guess I, I look at this and say maybe, but is it is it just possible 
that there might be elements of this. And just because she is the first female vice president, does that necessarily mean that she can't be autocratic, that she can't be difficult to work with, that she can't be somebody who hasn't put in the work and then lashes out at the staff members? I mean, is it possible that she could be to blame for this? But again, there's some people who just want to view this stuff and say, oh, when it was Trump, well, Trump, we all know he was out of control. He was a jerk. Is it possible that the current vice president could be just as much of a jerk, but she might get a pass because, you know, it's a she instead of Donald Trump. I I just raise these questions, but it is sort of interesting that you have a lot of staff members who are bailing. And once again, that's not necessarily unusual in Washington, D.C., because after a while, people come in and then they they, they just they do it for a year or whatever, or two years, and then they decide to get it on their resume and they decide to move on. But you are hearing this recurring theme that she is extremely difficult to work for. And there's some people who are saying, oh, th- these allegations are sexist. Well, m- maybe it's that she's just genuinely difficult to work for. Just saying. All right. This is a story where I don't think anybody is right. But I, I want to discuss this with you. Now, last week, we had the national story about the 15-year-old in Michigan who ended up shooting up the school, killed four classmates, and, and injured a, a dozen more. So we have yet another example of one of these massacres by the use of firearms. Now, in this case, it, it, the kid didn't have a, an AR-15 or anything like that. He showed up with a semi-automatic handgun that is not unlike the handguns that, that most of us or many of us own. And he, he, mom and dad, dad had bought it on Friday, as we've talked about before, didn't have it locked up, apparently didn't care that the kid was exhibiting some signs that he could be a mass murderer, and all these bad things sort of happened. So, but it, it, was, it was a handgun. So anyhow, if, if you haven't seen this, there is a Republican representative from Kentucky. His name is Thomas Massey. And he is, I would say, one of the staunchest, staunchest opponents of gun control in the U.S. Congress. He got elected in 2012, um, which was it was one of those wave years for for Republicans. He's in a very, very Republican district, so he's not in any sort of danger of, of losing. And like I say, he's a big Second Amendment advocate and he's fought pretty much any gun control regulation that's come down the line. Well, if you haven't seen this, um, last week he sent out a, a Christmas card, and it's him and his wife sitting on a black leather couch in front of a tree, Christmas tree. They're flanked by several younger members of the family. There's like you know six or seven people in, in, in this picture, and it's like the typical kind of Christmas card you would get from the family. Well, what's different about this is that everyone in the picture is holding a, a long rifle. You know, everybody's holding a, a long gun. And the um, caption to the Christmas card says, Merry Christmas, P.S. Santa, please bring ammo. <laughs> okay, so that that's what he sends out. All right, now he sends this out, and they put that out on, they post it on Twitter. And this is, of course, just a couple days after the school shooting in Michigan. And predictably, a lot of the usual suspects just completely and totally um, go nuts over this. And the argument is, oh, this is incredibly 
you know, insensitive, it's tone deaf, it's spiteful, it's irresponsible, because don't you know that there was a 15-year-old who shot up a school in Michigan, and a couple days later, you put out this family Christmas card with everybody in your family holding long rifles? I mean, don't you recognize the message that this ends up sending? And again, a lot of people are saying it's just like irresponsible, um, to, to do something like this. Public display of gun ownership incites and inspires other people to do evil, terrible things. And this is incredibly egregious that you would send out a picture of your gun-toting family. This is horrible. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess this is one of these examples where I don't think anybody is correct. And I, I want to get your reaction. First of all, I think... I agree with the general concept that maybe this was too soon. (laughs) You know, uh, coming a a couple days after the Michigan school shooting, understanding that the the kid didn't use a long rifle or or things like that, but it, it did happen a couple days, you know, earlier. At the same time, that this, this furor that you're getting from the left, oh, this is terrible. This might inspire other people to go out and do the same sort of stuff. This is just absolutely, you know, awful that you would do this. How terrible. This is tone deaf, insensitive. I, and, and it might, again, be a catalyst for other sort of shootings. To which I, I kind of want to say, okay, lighten up. Uh, do I, do I think it might have been too soon to send out to post this particular picture? Yeah. If it were me, would I have, probably found a more traditional Christmas card picture to send out. Absolutely. At the same time, the idea that this is going to inspire other people to go out and do terrible things, that this is incredibly insensitive, that this is awful, that this is callous, I think that's an overreaction as well. And the the more we, we enter but I understand you get this reaction because it's it's political. You know, if if it's your side that, for example, is big gun advocates, you see nothing wrong in it. And if the people who think, oh, we've got too many guns, we got to get guns out of the hands of people, well, this is the reaction that, that you have. This, this hair on fire, oh, this is terrible. Where the truth is, do I think it's a little tone deaf and maybe a little too soon? Yes. Do I think that this is the worst thing in the world? No. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How bad was this? We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, and I say this about people on, on the right and on the left. I, th- there's no question. In our polarized environment nowadays, people do things to be provocative. And as I frequently say, just because you have a right to do something doesn't mean it, it's the right thing to do. And you, I, you see this on the left all the time. Like I, there, there are people that the squad, for example, I don't think they believe three quarters of the things that they say, but they say this stuff because it's red meat for their base. And yeah, yeah, go get them. And you have that on on the right as well. And the latest example of this is this this Christmas card that was posted by this representative's name is Tom Massey. He's a congressman from Kentucky. And and I'm looking at a, at a picture of it now. If you haven't seen it, it's it's him and his wife and there's five I, I don't 
I don't know if these are daughters or son-in-laws or they're all his kids. I, I doubt it. But there's so there, there's five kids. There's a little a younger girl. I'd say she's a teenager. And so they're all posed in front of a Christmas tree. And on the sofa, there's the congressman and his wife. And there's the girl that looks to me like she's a teenager. Maybe she's a little bit older. And they all have um, big guns. <laughs> <laughs> they, except the the teenage girl who's got a, a a smaller gun, like it looks like an Uzi pistol or something like that to me. And then behind them, there's three guys and a gal, and they're all standing there and they're smiling, and they're all they're all posed with, um, again, long long rifles, like the the AR-15 style of rifle and stuff. And they send out the Christmas card thing, and they've gotten a lot of heat for doing this and the idea is look the argument is like a couple days after what happened in michigan this is unduly provocative well 855-616-1620 do they have a right to do it yes i mean is it the cause for all this outrage and hair on fire comments that you're getting from the left probably not at the same time I don't know, given where we are with guns in this country, for example, is this the type of thing, does it help the conversation? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, and then, of course, the, the note said, Dear Santa, please send ammo. Uh, Jeff, just send ammo for what? With two instances of parents encouraging children to carry guns in public in Kenosha and the same in Michigan, some may see that as supporting the... Same. Um, let's see. Um, Jeff, hopefully you saw the other picture. Okay, well then, you know, and, and then, of course, this is using people to then, uh, again, people respond to this in kind. Jeff, I saw it. It was disgusting. As the old saying goes, timing is everything. Show a little respect. 855-616-1620. Gianni in Montello. Hi, Gianni. What do you think? Well, well, Jeff, um, you listen, uh, the only, I own a lot of guns. Uh, I'm a gun enthusiast. I, I like, uh, you know, the, the whole engineering of, of weapons over the history of, of, uh, of civilization. But, hey, listen, uh, you, you won't find me putting uh, together a Christmas card brandishing my weapons. And the only time you're going to find me with a gun is when I'm out in the woods hunting mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the fall. So I, I think it is a little over the top. But my question, Jeff, and I, we can ponder this, you, you and your listeners, What's 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 behind this? What, what's the fascination with guns on a Christmas card? Given our our kind of atypical history with 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 guns and shootings and mass murders in the United States involving um, you know guns, what, what's behind it? And I, I would ask you know you you and your listeners to mm-hmm. you know think about that. What is it, what is it about the American psyche that we need to put a um, you know a, a you know a, a gun gun toting family on a Christmas card? Why why not go more neutral? I, I well, I, I mean, I, Gianni, I mean, I don't disagree with it, which is why I thought this was being provocative just for the sake of being provocative. I mean, obviously, th- this congressman, as I was saying earlier, is one of the most pro-gun ownership members of, of Congress. And his message is that our family has guns and we, we do not. We're law-abiding citizens and we own these firearms and we're able to do it responsibly. And, and clearly, he's appealing to what is going to be his base. My guess is the vast majority of the people in his district probably own firearms themselves and things of the like, and they're going to look at this and they're not going to have an issue with it at all. But at the same time, you know that this is just going to, you know, drive uh, a number of people on the other side of the issue that just, you know, completely crazy. I I think 
And to me, that's one of the reasons why I said at the beginning, I, I don't think anybody's right here. For for all the people who say, oh, this is just going to be terrible, this is going to inspire other mass shootings, no, I, I, I doubt I doubt that there's too many people who'd be planning mass shootings who suddenly feel emboldened because they see this one particular congressman who's made no secret of the fact that he's a gun owner, that fact that he and his family have a bunch of guns. So I I don't buy that. But at the same time, this is kind of rubbing salt in in the wound. And it's one of those deals where especially uh, coming two or three days after what had happened in Michigan, you simply, by doing this, you give ammunition to the other side. There's no question, no pun intended here. You give ammunition to the folks who are saying, okay, these are these irresponsible gun owners, and who in the world would, you know, who in the world would have their entire family that could arm themselves to the teeth? And the answer is, well, you know, in some of these communities, that that's it. The people grew up around firearms. That's what they have. I don't know that you necessarily need to advertise it. So I, if, if you watch MSNBC, you're going to just see all sorts of incredible angst about this. I don't share it, but I think at the same time, if this was me, I would have picked a more traditional Christmas card. You know, me and Fran on the couch sitting there with the dog or something like that, and maybe the grandkids or something like that. And I think I would have left the guns for, I don't know, deer hunting season or self-protection or something along those lines. A lot of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Please do not go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I do listen to those newscasts. And in that newscast, Alex's newscast, he had he had one of the college, one of my college reading words there, rapacious. It was about the uh, New York City District Attorney who was describing this antiquities dealer as being rapacious. It means aggressively greedy or grasping. So that that that, that should be the challenge for all of us today. It's like okay, figure out how you can work work the word rapacious into your conversation over the next twelve hours. You know, Gru who's producing the show. That that's kind of the challenge, rapacious. Now you know we're we're going out to uh, we're going out tonight. I'm I'm not sure with the group of people that I'm going to be with tonight. I'm going to be able to figure out how to get rapacious into the conversation. But it is going to be my goal again. Rapacious, rapacious means aggressively greedy or grasping. But if the district attorney in Manhattan can do it, I can figure out a way to do it as well. All right, my head is about to explode. The, as we've talked about regularly, crime in Milwaukee is just, it's through the roof. And, and, and you're seeing a number of permutations about it. I firmly believe that uh, part of the reason we have such out-of-control crime is because of the lenient policies in the court system and in particular DA's office. Matter of fact, over the weekend, without saying who, I had a conversation with someone intimately familiar with the court system who said it's, it's no question that the, the courts over the last few years have bent over too far in trying to accommodate both the public defender's office and the DA's office in their their let's turn criminals loose thing. And I think the courts might recognize that they bear some responsibility. And just because you have an assistant district attorney who goes in and recommends some ridiculously low low bail, that doesn't mean that you should be signing off on it. But there's no question in my mind. That, for example, as we've said, this, this Daryl Brooks story, he's the guy responsible for the Waukesha uh, Christmas Parade Massacre. It, John Chisholm, the DA, would have you believe that this was a, a mistake. And, and yes, it, it was a, a mistake. I mean, everybody agrees with that, but it, it's not atypical. And, you know, I think if you start 
analyzing the amount of crimes that are committed by people who are out on bail or on probation or diversion and the, the number of repeat offenders there are, it would be absolutely staggering. And this is what Chisholm predicted when he first got elected in 2007, that this is these are his policies. He wants to turn people loose, and he recognizes that somewhere along the line, people will die. Well, lots of people died because of that. And, that, and see, that's the bigger thing. If the Daryl Brooks case was just an, an isolated, some overworked district attorney, and boy, did Chisholm throw her under the bus, some overworked district attorney didn't get the right paperwork and made a mistake, that, that would be one thing. And, and that's all true. Overworked district attorney who didn't get some paperwork and made a big mistake. But but this happens on a daily basis. And that's the more fundamental problem. And it's why you've got lots of pressure on John Chisholm to resign. Well, he won't resign. And then lots of Chisholm pressure on, on Tony Evers to get rid of Chisholm. Well, maybe we'll talk about that more tomorrow. But you, you have the, this system where criminals have been essentially slapped on the wrist, revolving door criminal justice system, and, and it's leading to these, these numbers we're looking at. Um, and, and again, I, I, I've, I've referenced this, the Milwaukee Police Department, and to their credit, they, they have an ongoing list, a real-time list of crimes that you can look at. And you know, crimes in general, last year was horrible, and this year is essentially on a pace to be equally as horrible. Um, but you, for example, the, the one number that really sticks out is, is motor vehicle theft. This time last year, 3,900 cars stolen in the city of Milwaukee. This year, 9,800. <laughs> it's almost mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling that you could have had 3,900 stolen at this time last year, but but it's incredible that we're, we almost have 10,000 cars stolen this year. I mean, they're, they're within 200, and at this pace, they'll probably have like 11,000 cars stolen. If you do the math, it translates into 27, 28, 29 cars a day that are stolen. And my guess is, you know, if you look at the people that are stealing these cars, it's in many cases the same people over and over again. It's kids who are out there taking the cars for joy rides or gang initiations or whatever, and they're doing it over and over again, and they're getting caught, and then they're being turned loose. And, and then adults as well, because we don't consider car theft, as an example, to be a big deal around here. We, we don't, the DA's office will not waive juveniles who steal cars into adult court. And I don't think it makes a difference whether they've stolen one car or 100. They won't wave them into adult court unless the kid is driving 90 miles an hour, blows through a red light, hits and kills somebody, in which case, well, well, then maybe you have the deal. But running from the cops as a juvenile, that's not going to get you waved into adult court. Stealing cars is not going to get you waved into adult court. It's this catch and release system that puts people back out on the street. So into that, Wade's. A couple Milwaukee aldermen, and this is this is a follow-up, and Alex was telling you about this during the news. Um, Alderwoman Malaley Coggs and Alderman Khalif Rainey are in a hearing now where they are, I'm looking at the press release, seeking direction from the office of the city attorney as to possible legal options the city may pursue related to ongoing significant theft issues. Now, let me stop the sentence right there. So you've got these aldermen who are looking and saying, we have almost 10,000 cars stolen in the city of Milwaukee. And, and they're talking to the city attorney, what are some of our options? Now, 
again, I interrupted in the middle of the sentence in their press release. But, okay, what could they be asking? Gee, you know, city attorney, is there more we can do to hold car thieves accountable? Is there something that we could look at to hold the parents of juvenile car thieves accountable, right? There's all sorts of questions you might have. But no, no, they're not asking that. They're not asking how we can get the district attorney to start being more aggressive in locking up car thieves. We're not asking uh, the district attorney or the city attorney to look at exploring ideas as to how we can hold parents accountable. Nope. They are asking the city attorney to explore possible legal options to pursue related to the ongoing significant theft issues with Kia and Hyundai vehicles. Now, everybody knows this. Kia and Hyundai vehicles are easier to steal than some others. And there's a, there's a wide variety. And actually, they're, they're, they're changing part of the manufacturing process moving forward. Um, long story short, there, there's ways that you can enter the vehicles. And I'm not going to go into any sort of detail, although the people who are stealing cars know it. There, there's ways you can enter the vehicles that are, are easier for Kia and Hyundai's than others. And for, for many vehicles, you've got the key fob and you, like, for example, my, my car has this key fob. If you don't have the key fob, is it possible to steal the car? Yes, but it's more difficult. That, that's the bottom line. Well, Hyundai and Kia right now, you don't need the key fob. Okay, so that's the issue. But, but of course, this, this idea that it's the fault of the car manufacturers, and that's what we're going to look at. Um, Alderman Rainey, and I'm looking, quoting from his press release now, has said he believes Kia and Hyundai are directly responsible for the drain on police and other city resources that have been directed to deal with the rash of vehicle thefts and the havoc those thefts have brought to the city. Let me read that again and let it linger for a moment. The alderman said he believes that Kia and Hyundai, the manufacturers, are directly responsible for the drain on police and other city resources that have been directed to deal with the rash of vehicle thefts and the havoc those thefts have brought up to the city. He doesn't say that the car thieves are the ones that are responsible. He blames the manufacturers. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is why the city of Milwaukee is in as much trouble as it is. Because this is the attitude that you have among elected officials. You have crime that is out of control. And you look at the car thefts, and I don't think anybody can argue with that premise. And you've got elected officials who are saying, well, the, the reason we have a problem is because these car manufacturers haven't made it hard enough to steal their cars. Not we've got a generation of car thieves out there who aren't held accountable. But it, it's the manufacturers. That is like saying, gee, we have all these burglaries. And the problem is we have people that don't have deadbolt locks on their doors. You just have the regular single lock. And, you know, somebody breaks in your window or they can jam that door in and they can go in and burglarize it. It's your fault because you haven't put that second deadbolt lock on your door. Why? Do, why is it so hard to just identify what the problem is. And the problem is we've got criminals that are running rampant on the streets of the city of Milwaukee and spreading out to the suburbs, and we refuse to hold them accountable. But it's easier to say, well, it's the car manufacturers. They're the ones who are responsible for the directly responsible for the drain on police and other city resources. No, Alderman, 
It's not the car manufacturers. It's the criminals. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, can is it, is it fair to say that, okay, well, you know, maybe whether it's a car manufacturer or somebody that manufactures window air conditioners or whatever, you, you want to do whatever you can to make your vehicle or the air conditioner or the product theft-proof? Okay. But we have a rash of auto thefts in Milwaukee, and it's not because of Kia or Hyundai. It's because we have a rash of car thieves who aren't held accountable. And for an alderman to say, well, we think the manufacturers are directly responsible. No, 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 no. The people that are directly responsible are the car thieves. And for these politicians to not have the guts to call out the district attorney to call out the judges because they're afraid that they might i don't know alienate a part of their constituency who's pro car thief well that that's what is just so appalling to me let's start with mike in illinois mike you're first hello hello jeff how are you real well thank you what do you think well if anytime your phrase making you want your head to explode <laughs> that is absolutely ludicrous i mean it is beyond ludicrous they are being rapacious with their liberalism, as far as that's concerned. <laughs> you got the word in. There you go. Well, I mean, right. It, yeah. It's this idea. What's, I mean, again, the, the, you can come up with all sorts of examples. Mine is, hey, the, the burglars, they were able to bust into your door too easy because you didn't have the deadbolt lock on. So it's your yeah. fault. I mean, at some point in time, why don't we put the blame where it lies, which is on the punk car thieves that are out there stealing 25 to 30 cars a day in Milwaukee? Absolutely. And as I told your screener, if you really want things to change, this is not going to do the trick. Right. Exactly. No, Mike, you're... Mike, you're exactly right. Thanks for the call. Jeff, here's a text. Jeff, I anticipate the retooling that Kia and Hyundai will come at will come at a cost. Why should car buyers pay higher prices because there are no consequences for car thieves? Yeah. And the Milwaukee aldermen are willing to increase buyer's costs by adding litigation fees to the manufacturer's expense. Right. I- I- exactly. When, when they do these, think of why they're doing this retooling. It's not to make the car safer. It's not to make the car perform better. It's because in some urban areas, car thieves who run out of control, who aren't held accountable at all, they're, they're ripping off these cars, so we're going to blame the manufacturer. Now, by the way, I, I have if Hyundai and Kia decide that we want to do things to make it more difficult to steal cars, that, to me, probably has an attraction to buyers. I mean, I don't want to buy a car that's going to come out and have dinner at a restaurant, and it's gone. So there probably is appeal to that. But let's not lose sight of, and I love the phrase in Khalif Rainey's thing, well, you are directly responsible. No, 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 no. Kia and Hyundai are not directly responsible. They make the car. Somebody buys the car. The person that is directly responsible for the thefts are the people that are out on the street stealing the cars. And just once, wouldn't you like to have one of these aldermen call out the DA's office and call out the court system and say, what happens to these people? How many of these repeat car thieves are there? There's been, we're going to have 10,000 cars. And this, hey, you want to talk about if you had an active media? 10,000 cars stolen. 
Who steals those cars? Wouldn't that be an interesting thing to start to really break down the numbers? Now, it's going to be tough to find to one extent because if the cars are stolen by juveniles, that goes into juvenile court and those records just disappear. We're never able to find out. But wouldn't it be interesting to see who is it that's stealing the cars? You talk to the police officers and anecdotally, they know it's the same people over and over and over and over again that they see that are stealing the cars. They're put back on the street right away. And again, unless they're driving the car 95 miles an hour running from a cop and they run a red light and they hit and kill somebody, there's never going to be any consequence to it. Dean in Muskego. Dean, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Dave. Um, oh, hi, Dave. Sorry. Thank you for having me call. Hi, no, it's fine. Uh, it's like the same analogy that you hear all the time. You know, it's always the gun that's responsible for the shooting. It's always, like in this case, last you know week with the Waukesha parade, is it the escapes? fault that they ran over the kids and the people and the grannies? Right. Is it these people that bought the car? And then you take it out another step with the insurance companies that are having to pay, and we have to pay in kind with that. So, yeah, the accountability right. needs to be where it belongs. Right, on on the bad guys. The yeah, no, thanks for calling, Dave. And a number of people, you, you get it. I'm getting text, Jeff. So if you get pulled over for speeding, it's not your fault. It's the fault of the car because the car can go faster than the speed limit. Um, yes, Jeff, it's no different than blaming the auto manufacturer for drunk driving. That That's right. It, it's not your fault that you got yourself blind drunk and got behind the wheel of a car and ended up blowing, a, you know, a, a point three. It's the auto manufacturer's fault because, well, you know, you were able to start the car. Um, Jeff, I guess the manufacturers are responsible for the reckless driving that the punks do after they steal the car. Absolutely. Jeff, I hear your frustration. My car was stolen not that long ago. The window was smashed. I guess the next step is for our elected officials to go after the window manufacturers. Yeah, the congregation says amen. Why, why stop there? You know, if they could force their way into the car by busting out the window, well, they might not get in a position to be able to do whatever they do to make it start without the key. So that's it. Why, why don't we blame the window manufacturers? If you had these windows that didn't break when you took a crowbar and busted them out, well, maybe in that case, you know, we wouldn't have the problem. Jeff, I think it makes people running Milwaukee sound really stupid by saying things like this. Oh, no, no. It's it's not that. This is what they seriously believe, that we, we can't hold people responsible. We don't want to deal with the criminal element there. We want to try other explanations because, well, you know, if we if we start to call out the district attorney and, you know, we encourage him, that's going to just put more people in jail or the juvenile court judges or the regular court judges. That's going to lock people up. And we have a certain segment of our community that just doesn't want to hold people accountable. And how dare you lock these people up? So let's blame the car manufacturers. And, yeah, let's see if the city attorney's got ideas that maybe we can sue Key and Hyundai. Maybe you'd spend more time saying, let's call out the district attorney. Let's call out the judges. Let's find out why repeat criminals aren't being held accountable for stealing cars. Let's start there. But no, I, I understand. That's on my wish list, and I just don't think Santa is ready to come and give me that right now. Okay, John McCure, Melissa Barkley. We're going to check in with them in just a couple minutes, find out what's going on. Stick around.